and they're excited. All right. Love the enthusiasm. Love it, love it, love it. Well, you heard we're in the book of Luke, so turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 or in your devices to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to take a look at what in the world is a Christian to do? What in the world is a Christian to do? And I'm going to try my best to get through 24 verses in Luke chapter 10 this morning. Now, I have broken it down this way. Point number one, the 72 sent out, that's verses one to four. The second is the message of the 72, that's verses five to 11. Then the warning to the indifferent, verses 12 to 16. Then the joy of the 72, verses 17 to 20. And then the joy of Jesus, found in verses 21 to 24. So that's the breakdown of our passage this morning. And for a little trivia fact, this is the only gospel that has this story. Luke is the only one who records this true event. So let's take a look at the first one. The 72 sent out. Follow along as I read from the English Standard Version. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money brag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Verse 1 starts out after this. Well, what does it mean after this? Well, that's after the events of chapter 9. Jesus is leaving the region around Galilee, up by the Sea of Galilee, and he is about to make his way down towards Jerusalem. And before he gets very far, he appoints 72 people. Now, some of your Bibles say 70 people. How many of your Bibles say 70? He appointed 70. All right, one? Whoa, okay. Well, <clears throat> Some of your Bibles say 70, some of your Bibles say 72. So quizzers, what is it? 72? Well, as I studied that this week, I found out that about half the Bible scholars believe it's 72. The other half of the Bible scholars believe it's 70. So we really have no idea. But we do know that Jesus had 12 disciples. That we do know as a fact. But these 70 or 72 people, um, you know, he appointed them. That's, that's quite an entourage, isn't it? I mean, you have these 72 people following Jesus. It's like, whoa, man, that, that's a lot of people. And what I'm thinking is if he appointed 72 people, um, there was probably more than that following Jesus. Man, oh days, that's quite a crowd to have 
to have you to have them following Jesus. That's that's quite amazing. And it says here that he was sending them on ahead, two by two, into every town and place where he was about to go. So, in a way, these 72 people were Jesus' advance team, right? And, you know, th- this happens today. In fact, when the president goes somewhere or a king goes somewhere or somebody important is heading out to a place, they send out an advance team to make sure that everything is all set and proper. And it was about 11 years ago, 12 years ago, I was in Asheville, North Carolina, and I walked into the hotel lobby, and there were a bunch of people in dark suits with dark sunglasses and an earpiece in one ear. And I thought, oh, they caught up to me. I better surrender. I was like, huh, what is going on? So I asked one of them, um, I said, uh, what brings you to Asheville? And they said, well, the president's going to be here in three days, and we're just checking it out to make sure everything is going to be okay. And I sighed a huge sigh of relief because I was heading out of Asheville before he got there. Because when a president goes somewhere, they shut down the roads, and you don't know how long you're going to be sitting somewhere. Um, I have had lots and lots of experience of that when I was in Washington, D.C. You could, and New York City, you, you could be sitting for a while uh, waiting for the entourage of vehicles, the motorcade to go past. And so it was like, phew, boy, I'm going to be out of here before that happens. So why did Jesus choose 70 or 72? I mean, is, is there something special about that number? Well, let me tell you. I have absolutely no idea. We don't know why Jesus chose that amount of people. But I can say that in Genesis, um, there, there's, a, there's a little parallel that um, after uh, uh, Noah was off the ark and his sons, they started having kids, there's a list of 70 nations from the lineage of Noah's sons. Like, huh, that's interesting. And in, um, in Numbers 11, God told, Moses, God told Moses to choose 70 elders to help with uh, administration and to care for the burdens of the people. So I, I came up with 70, but uh, that, that's, that's all I got, okay? That's all I have here. So Jesus sends them out two by two. Now, I can tell you why Jesus sent them out two by two. Because in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10, it says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. And also in Deuteronomy 19, 15, it says this, one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So the message of those people heading into those towns as the advance team is more convincing because you had two people going and being 
those missionaries preparing the way for Jesus. And in a way, they were kind of like John the Baptist people heading out to tell people that, hey, Jesus is here and Jesus is coming. So Jesus starts out his message to these appointed missionaries and he says that he wants them let me get back to my passage here, that he wants them to go into the place where the harvest is ready. Now, back in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd. See, Jesus knew the, the condition of these cities. Jesus knew what these folks would be heading into, and he had compassion on them. And he said, man, the harvest is plentiful. Now, Jesus, back in Matthew's account, says that they are like sheep without a shepherd. And there was no shepherds, there were no religious leaders in Israel who cared for the sheep. They were in it for themselves. No one to feed them or lead them or take care of them. So Jesus, Jesus had compassion on what he was about to send the 72 to go out and do. But here in Luke 10, the metaphor is the harvest. And there is so much to bring in but yet not enough people to do it. Now, I'm thinking for a lot of you farmers, that's the way you feel as you're about to enter the harvest season. Oh, man, I have so many acres that I got to get in. Oh, I wonder how the weather's going to be. I wonder how it's all going to work out, you know. And, you know, it's kind of the overwhelming feeling. And that's kind of what Jesus was portraying here, that the harvest, the people, who are ready to respond to the gospel. Those folks, there are so many of them. Then he says, verse 2, Therefore pray, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Jesus is has a sense of urgency. He says, look, we have all these people who are ready, but yet we don't have enough to harvest. We don't have enough to go out and to share the gospel. There's an urgency in Jesus' voice. You need to pray. Pray that more people go. You know what? We got a, our own church kid, Bryce Engels, out in the Far East. Man, he's a missionary. He's still in school, but he's working to share Christ. Isn't that cool? One of our own kids. We need to be praying for Bryce. We need to be praying for Christopher Smoker. Man, he's out in Montana and he's, he's been preaching. Isn't that cool? Man, we need to be praying for Christopher Smoker. That God, wouldn't it be cool if Christopher came back here to be the pastor? That'd be awesome. That'd be great. We need to be praying for these kids. And we also need to be praying that God raises up more, more kids, more people. Because he told the 70, 72, hey, pray. 
That's a message for us too, that we pray. Pray for more people. Verse 3, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. <laughs> That's not quite the motivational speech you want to give to your, your team, is it? All right, guys, we're going to send you out there and, oh, you're going to be sheep among wolves. What does that mean? Uh, yeah, it's, it's not going to be easy. I mean, can you imagine a coach saying, okay, guys, let's go out there and let's get slaughtered by the other team. Yeah, not really. But I think what Jesus was saying was, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves, so you better be alert. You better be on your guard because it's not going to be easy. I think Jesus was just being gut-level honest with everyone. Saying, here you go, folks. Here you go. Verse 4. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Wait a second. I'm sending you out, and you're not taking any extra provisions, any extra resources. I mean, I can't even carry my chocolate candy bar. Wait a second. What? Uh, well, there is a reason behind this. And I think the reason is so that these 72 people totally trust Jesus for everything. We talked about testing this morning in Sunday school, and John brought that up. And, you know, the way our faith grows is by testing. And I think that Jesus telling these 72 here, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one, it's that you got to totally trust me for everything. Wow. The last part of verse 4, it's kind of interesting to the casual reader. Greet no one on the road. So in other words, be a snob, put your nose up in the air, and walk right past everybody. Oh, wait, no, that's not quite it. <laughs> Greet no one on the road. And when I did a study of the, the Greek behind the word greet, it means that you are not to stop and talk. And a lot of times in the Mideastern culture, when you stop and talk to a person, you end up in a long conversation. You end up going to the person's house for a meal, and Jesus is like, no, look, look. I am sending you on to these towns. I am sending you on to these places. These are where you need to go don't get distracted. We were sitting in staff meeting. Um, I think it was this week or the, I don't know, one of the weeks we're sitting in staff meeting in Jesse's office. And uh, Jesse is like, oh, look at that truck out there on that road that just went past. That's interesting. It's like, Jesse, we're in staff meeting. But he can look out his window and see the, you know, the things that are happening outside. 
You know, and I think Jesus is saying, hey, guys, guys, stick to your mission. Stick to your mission. Don't get sidetracked here. Our second point, the message of the 72, found in verses 5 to 11. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town, they do not receive you. Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we will wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. The message was quite simple that they were to say, the kingdom of God has come near to you because the king of that kingdom is coming to your town. And you have a chance to be a part of this kingdom. Matthew 4.23 says this, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. In Luke 8, we saw this a few weeks ago, after this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. Jesus wanted the people to hear that the kingdom of God is coming and that this is how you can be part of the kingdom of God. By believing in Jesus as the Messiah, you can become part of his kingdom. That's interesting. He tells the, the 72, he says, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for labor deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. See, what happened, some of the religious leaders would go and visit people, and if they stayed in that house and it wasn't quite right, you know, I could do better at somebody else's house, they would go to somebody else's house because maybe they had better food or better accommodations. And Jesus is like, guys, look, look, when you go to a house, just stay there. Just stay there. Then he says, but if you enter a town, they do not receive you. Go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. That's interesting. In Mideastern culture, if you were to pronounce a judgment on somebody, if you were to tell them, you know, I have nothing more to do with you, that's exactly what you would do. You would go outside and publicly say so that everybody knows this isn't something that you do in secret. No, this is in public. You say that I am wiping off the dust of my feet and that this is a judgment against you. And 
Um, according to the Got Questions website, it's like, I have no more responsibility to you at all. Now, don't miss this, verse 11. Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. He's saying <laughs> that, you know, if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that the kingdom of God is coming near, that's okay. You don't, you don't have to believe that. But just know that the fact is the kingdom of God is coming. I, I remember having a conversation with a kid. And he said, well, I don't believe in Jesus. I said, okay, that, that's your prerogative. You may not believe in Jesus. But just because you don't believe in Jesus does not mean he doesn't exist. Because let me tell you, there will be a day that you will believe in Jesus. Because in Philippians it says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So you can let people not believe, that's fine. We can share, but if they say, I don't believe, that's fine. But that doesn't mean that God does not exist. Point number three. The warning to the indifferent, verses 12 to 16. I tell you, it would be more tolerable, it'd be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who bears, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Oh, man, there's a whole sermon in just these verses here. Um, this opens up a, a number of uh, interesting thoughts here. Jesus mentioned Sodom. I don't think I need to spend a whole lot of time talking about Sodom. I think you are familiar with how immoral and depraved that city was. In fact, it was so immoral and depraved that God sent judgment down upon that city and just totally obliterated Sodom and Gomorrah. You can read about that in Genesis 19. Now, Chorazin and Bethsaida were Jewish cities. Tyre and Sidon were Gentile cities. Tyre and Sidon were also very wicked cities. And for those of you who were in the Sunday school class on Ezekiel, you will know that Ezekiel was to prophesy against Tyre and Sidon because they were wicked Gentile cities. You can read about Ezekiel's prophecy in Ezekiel 26 through 28. Now, 
the Jewish people absolutely hated. They deplored being compared to Gentiles. But Jesus is making that description here. He is definitely getting their attention. He says that it'd be more bearable in judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you in Bethsaida and Chorazin. Is Jesus implying that there are levels of judgment? If it's more tolerable to be in Tyre and Sidon than for Bethsaida and Chorazin, what, what? Like I said, that's a sermon for another time. But it seems that way that Jesus is saying, you know, there might be a level of of judgment. The people who have heard the gospel, the people who have had it explained to them and reject Christ, maybe their punishment is more than the people who have not had the opportunity to have someone explain it to them. Hmm. I heard um, I heard a pastor say this that hell's going to be a, a terrible place of judgment, but probably the worst part of the judgment of hell for the people that are there are remembering all the times that they heard the gospel and rejected it. I could have, I could have responded. I could have believed, I c- but yet I didn't. Imagine having all of eternity to think about that. If I only would have. Whew. Wow. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15 again. And you, Capernaum, Will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. What's another name for Hades? I didn't hear you. Absolutely. You know, we don't hear about hell too much anymore, do we? Well, it's not a very popular subject, for one, but... uh, I think for some people, maybe even for some pastors, it's like, well, we don't want to offend anybody. Uh, Jesus makes it pretty clear here that you shall be brought down to Hades. You shall be brought down to hell. My friends, there is a reality of hell. In my reading this week, I came upon this. I thought, this is so true. This is, yeah, I never thought about it this way. You know, we often, you often hear about the good news of Jesus, right? Hey, you need to believe the good news of Jesus. Good news means gospel. You need to believe the good news. You need to believe the good news. But you know what? You know why there's good news? Because there's bad news. If there wouldn't be bad news, you wouldn't need good news, would you? But because there is bad news, because there is a place called hell, that people are going to because they don't believe in Jesus as their Savior, because there is bad news, we have good news. 
The good news is if you believe in Jesus, you are going to heaven. So think about that. Yeah, we got good news to share because there is bad news. And that bad news is a place called hell. All right, I need to move on. Point number four, trying to keep going here. The joy of the 72. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And these 72 came back and they said, Jesus, you wouldn't believe what happened. And Jesus said, yeah, isn't that awesome? They returned because the, the demons were subject to them. People were healed. People believed in Jesus as their savior. Man, you know, and these 72 people went out and they started healing people and, and casting out demons, that would get people's attention. And it did. And it did. And so there were people who believed in Jesus. Verse 18, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I'm sure you've been in thunderstorms. I'm sure that you have seen the lightning flash, the, the bolts of lightning come down towards earth. And Jesus is saying, you know, when, when one of those people believed in Jesus, boom, there was lightning that came down. The, the domain of Satan took a hit. You know, then another person believed in Jesus. Boom, again. The kingdom of Satan took a hit. Another person believed in Jesus. Uh, you got the point. Every time a person believed in Jesus, Satan took a hit. Satan took a direct hit. It's like lightning coming down. Boom. Man, no wonder they were excited because their ministry was successful. But yet, this is interesting. <laughs> Jesus saying, yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome to see these people trusting Christ. But you know what? There is something else that is just as awesome, just as miraculous as what you saw. And it's this, that your name is written in the book of life in heaven. Do you realize that? Right now, as a believer in Jesus Christ, your name is in heaven. Man, those, those angels could say, huh, I wonder if David Smoker's a Christian. I have to check that out. Is David Smoker a Christian? Oh, my soul, there's a lot of smokers here. Uh, 
Oh, yeah, there it is, David Smoker. He's a believer. Cool. That's true of all your names. As a believer in Jesus Christ, your name is now written in heaven. And you know what? That's an absolute miracle. Because you in your own free will have chosen to believe in Jesus. That's cool. And that's a miracle. Don't you ever forget that. That is an absolute miracle. And Jesus was saying, you know, yeah, you can rejoice. Rejoice in what you saw happen in ministry. That's awesome. But never forget to rejoice in the fact that your name is written in heaven. You know, there are things that happen to us here in this earth that limit our joy. <laughs> that uh, difficult circumstances, issues, health issues, a lot of things can limit our joy. But one thing shall never limit our joy. That's our name is written in the book of life up in heaven. All right, I, uh, I need to move on. Uh, point five, the joy of Jesus. The joy of Jesus, verses 21 to 24. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chose, chooses to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The only place in the Bible where it says that Jesus rejoiced is here in Luke 10 a little Bible trivia for you. This is the only place where it says that Jesus rejoiced. Usually we think of Jesus as a man of sorrows, right? We even sing a hymn, man of sorrows, what a name for the son of God who came. But here it says that Jesus rejoiced. Well, why did Jesus rejoice? for a couple of reasons. I think two reasons. One is that salvation was meant for all people. Notice what Jesus said. He says that, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Salvation is meant for everyone. Even children can understand and comprehend their need for a Savior. Salvation is meant for everyone. The second thing that brought Jesus joy was that he was watching the plan of God unfold before him. He was seeing people 
come to Jesus. Because as it says in Second uh, Peter, that God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so Jesus was watching the plan of God unfold and seeing people come to Christ. Verse 23, it says, Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear. It's like, ah, the plan is coming together. The plan is coming together. All right, let's bring it home. Jesus appointed 72 people from his entourage of people. I said earlier that you, a miracle that your name is written in the book of life because you responded to Christ. That is very true. We have a free will, but we also have been chosen. That's a sermon for another day too. But just know that as Jesus appointed these 72 people, you too have been appointed. You've been appointed to go. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 talks about your appointment. Acts 1, 8 talks about, here's the message. This is what I want you to go, to go and do. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and throughout all parts of the earth. We are appointed to go. We are appointed to take the message of Jesus Christ. I speak the name of Jesus. That's what we are to do. We can rejoice. Even when life gets hard, even when life gets difficult, we can know that, yeah, this too shall pass. But even when life gets tough, we can rejoice that our name is written in the book of life up in heaven. If you trusted Christ as your Savior, your name is written in heaven. So my suffering friends, as a Christian, your, life, your name is written in heaven. We had that to look forward to in our lives. Another point is that, you know, Every time that we go out in public, that's our mission field. The people that we meet, think about this. If God is sovereign, which he is, every time you go out in public and meet someone, God ordained that to happen. That's your mission field, those people that you meet. I tell you what, many mornings walking into BB's, I have to keep that in mind because sometimes I just want to get in and out real quick and don't see anybody I know or, you know, I just, I have to remind myself as I'm going into that store, as I'm meeting the people there, as I go to that checkout person, that's my appointment with these people to share the gospel. 
to share a smile, to say, may God bless you today, however you want to do it. Every time we're out in public, that's our mission field. Why? <laughs> because you're chosen. You are chosen by God. Because he left us here on earth. He didn't take us to heaven the minute we were, um, the minute we believed in Jesus. He left us here. Why? Because we are the best people to evangelize other people. That's why. So you're appointed to go and to share the good news that, yeah, the kingdom of God is coming. Jesus is going to set up his kingdom here on earth. Let's be like the 72 and share that message. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word. Lord, I, I felt like I rushed through these verses. But God, I pray that something impacted someone here this morning. That something was a reminder that, yeah, we're appointed like the 72 to go and share the good news of Jesus. God, help us to speak the name of Jesus wherever we go. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.